Hello and welcome everyone to KSQD Santa Cruz at 90.7 FM. I'm Patrick Hart, your host, and you're listening to our show, What To Be, where we interview inspiring people and highlight their careers. What To Be is a program provided by Your Future Is Our Business, a Santa Cruz County nonprofit that helps students explore careers through programs such as college and career expos, panels, and other work-based learning activities. Please note that the views and opinions expressed in this program do not necessarily represent or reflect those of Natural Bridges Media or your future as our business. The information provided during this program does not reflect its career in its entirety. And today I have the pleasure to speak to Cabrillo College Culinary Program Instructor, Chef Andrea Mullenauer. Hi, Andrea. Hi. Thank you very much for taking the time to do this interview with me. I'm glad to do so. Awesome, I really appreciate it. And Andrea, do you mind telling us about some of your background? Sure. Well, you mentioned that I'm a chef instructor at Cabrillo. I've been at Cabrillo for just under a year, but I've been a culinary instructor for about 14 years. And I'm teaching everything from high school culinary programs to summer youth camps to corporate team building and kind of everything in between. And I also own a catering company. And I have an event venue in downtown Santa Cruz called the Food Lounge. So I'm fully immersed in the Santa Cruz food scene and love to inspire and educate people through food. So that's, that's me. Very cool. And so you said you have been a chef for 14 years? Well, I've been a chef for many more years than that. I graduated the culinary program at Cabrillo back in the early 2000s. So about 20 years ago, I was becoming a chef in the program myself and went off and did my thing as a caterer. I have had a catering business for 16 years now, started teaching slowly here and there. And then now I would say that teaching is my primary job rather than my catering. Okay. And you shared with me before the interview that you recently got hired full-time at Cabrillo. I did. How exciting. It kind of feels full circle for me. And and I just really love the program. So I'm glad to be a part of growing it now. Congratulations on that. And I think it's great that they have you as an instructor, as a grad of the program. Do you mind telling our listeners more about the program? Oh, sure. So the culinary arts program at Cabrillo offers everything from foundational culinary instruction in the form of its beginning courses, both lecture-based and lab-based, all the way up to advanced kind of restaurant-style service. And, you know, there's also there's also a baking uh, department. There's also a wine section. And so you can get a variety of different certificates and associate degrees. And there's a, what I like about it myself compared to other programs in the region is, and there aren't very many of them, but I, I love that it has hands-on opportunities for the students because we also run labs that actually provide food to the public. So a little bit different in during the pandemic situation right now, but typically we have a beginning lunch restaurant and an advanced dinner restaurant and a full catering program that that caters parties and events, you know, a lot of weddings at the historic Cessnon House on campus at Cabrillo. And right now we still are operating some select courses on campus with kind of like a rigorous protocol for safety, but we were still doing some on-campus courses. And so we're doing takeout for people to come and pick up our food instead of the restaurant, since the restaurant at this time is not considered safe. Okay. And I was going to ask also, what makes the Cessnon House historic? 
Well, let's see. I, I, let me brush up on my history here. So it was a home owned by the Porter Cessnons, who are a family. And I, I don't remember exactly what they did, but I believe that at, at one time this was their, their vacation home. And then over time, it was land that was gifted. I, I, I'm really not that brushed up on my history about the Cessnon house. I apologize. Even though all of my catering events are essentially held at this beautiful location and there's like these beautiful historic pictures on the walls, but it's been around for since the 1800s. So we kind of keep the integrity of the house. We keep, we maintain it in a historic fashion and we tell the, the customers, the brides essentially that they can, you know, they can utilize certain spaces, but have to like respect or not utilize other spaces. Like there's this big, beautiful pagoda outside on the sprawling lawn and that one, no one's allowed to like climb up on it and take photographs, even though it would make some stunning pictures. It's, it's the reason why people are attracted to the space for their parties and events, because it's both indoor and outdoor. It's this beautiful historic building, and it has a lovely history from, you know, Santa Cruz and Bay Area families. That's awesome. And it is, it is sure a beautiful building. And, and what I was trying to say before is that it's so great that you guys have that for your students to be able to provide food to the public and to really get their feedback on what they're up to in the kitchen. It is. You know, our, our program wasn't always at the Cessnon House. It used to be primarily on Upper Campus where our bakery is, in the 900 building. But for, the long, for a long time now, most of it's been housed in the Cessnon House. We have a lovely commercial kitchen in the back and people can come and dine in the dining room for lunch and dinner, have events on the, on the, on the, on the patio or in the grass, like for evening and weekend events. It's really fun to work there. You know, I like looking, walking by the pictures on the walls and telling the students a little bit about the history and just really respecting the space. That's cool. And you talked about the, that the grads of the program get certificates. And with those certificates, does that put the students or the grads in a good position to land jobs in the kitchen out there? I like to think so. A degree in anything doesn't guarantee you a job. However, in a really competitive industry like food uh, and culinary, where people can climb that ladder within a restaurant from busser or dishwasher all the way up to prep cook and, and sous chef, I would say that a degree from a program like Cabrillo could, for example, give them a little bit of a leg up, a little bit perhaps of more practiced technique. I think it's also going to depend heavily on the student and the student's commitment to a really hard industry like culinary arts. And if it's right for them, I think a degree is a really great way to kind of jumpstart that pathway for them. It, it's often going to be that people need to start low in an organization like a restaurant and build their way up and show what, you know, show what they know and practice technique based on what that restaurant specializes in, but it's really creating a foundation for them with the certificate or the degree, you know, the, all of the foundational work that we practice in the program is kind of like the building blocks for them, in my opinion. Okay. Thank you, Andrea. We were talking about that the program is still, it's running in person right now, and that must be a little bit of a challenge with everything going on. Would you mind sharing with us how the program's adapting to the changes? So from what I understand at the college, any program that wants to run in-person courses, they're called difficult to convert. 
they would be difficult to hold via Zoom. And you can probably imagine that like teaching knife skills and, you know, tasting students' food, it would be really hard to do via Zoom in a distance education format. So the college allows us to submit plans and proposals about how we're going to do it safely. And just because we've planned it all out doesn't mean that it isn't still stressful. And so we've been approved to be on campus with strict protocol and health checks and all of the required safety protocol to try to keep the students and the teachers and the campus and all of the you know maintenance workers safe that are around campus but it's still super stressful every every day because we're wearing you know in my case like double masks for hours and hours on end and in that case like i forget to drink water all day because i don't want to slip my mask off and you know, we're watching to make sure that the students, as they're having fun in the kitchen and working hard and practicing their skill, that they're still maintaining safe social distance and keeping, you know, all of those protocols in the front of their mind, not in the back of their mind. And so it, it does become a little bit more of a stressful situation. But uh, ultimately, I'm glad that the students still want to learn. So I'm doing everything I can to keep it safe for them and still be on campus. Okay. And do you require the students to periodically get corona tests of any kinds? And do you know if students are going to be required to be vaccinated when those become available? The college is not requiring that the students that are on campus get coronavirus tests. However, we are taking daily. And so that means if they're coming into a class every single time they, they arrive on campus for that class, they're getting a temperature check and being asked a series of questions by the instructor, like, have you had any symptoms related to covid in the last 24 hours, in the last couple of days, in the last, have you had any exposure to people, you know, who've tested positive? We have a slew of questions that we ask every student every time. So we call them health checks. And although this college is not requiring coronavirus tests, if anyone doesn't pass the health check in the morning before coming into the class, then they're referred to the student health services nurse. And then they have a conversation and kind of talk about any potential symptoms, any potential exposures, and then they go from there in a confidential way with the student health nurse. Okay. Um, and I don't know actually about any vaccination requirements coming up through the pipeline with regards to Santa Cruz County schools. I know that some schools require like young vaccinations, like the young student vaccinations before you can register for students for like preschool and stuff. I don't know if Santa Cruz County or the state of California are going to require anything like that related to coronavirus vaccinations, but to be determined. For sure. I was wondering, so we're coming up on about a year of, since we all went to Zoom, or a lot of us went to Zoom, since you guys are able to teach in person, have you had to send anyone home because of like their fever maybe, like when you do that initial check? Frequently, yes. Yeah. We have sent students home and what we do is we refer them up to the student health services and we send an email and shoot a phone call over to the, the person in charge up there and we, we want to be safe. We want to make sure that even if it's just like seasonal allergies, if it's something new or different that the student hasn't been experiencing and the, and the teachers too, right? And the instructors as well, not just the students. Uh, if it's something new or different that the person has, hasn't been experiencing in the past that might be a potential like respiratory COVID symptom, then we would rather be safe than sorry. And we have referred some students 
to health services and not allowed them into the course at the beginning of class time. And typically they're cleared. Sometimes they're tested and have to wait for their test results and then they're cleared. And sometimes they have to go home and quarantine. And so it really just depends, but I feel like our system is generally working. I hope I'm not jinxing us. We're trying really hard to be rigorous, but I feel like we have a system that potentially could work if the students and instructors are also being safe outside of school. Yeah, and it seems like it's it's working so far and that you guys are doing the best that you can to make it stay that way. So good job. And I would imagine that your duties and responsibilities have changed maybe somewhat. And And I know some of this we were talking about before the interview that you're making some like instruction videos that will just serve as like foundation material for your class going forward, which I think is great. Yeah, all my classes actually, and and teaching in the high school setting as well. And the high school culinary program that I teach is all online. None of it has come back to in-person education. And so a lot of the slide decks and the instructional videos and all of the photo documents that I'm putting together for the students, I feel like are going to be really great resources that I can use in the future, even if we do come back in person and they can refer to them at home when they're practicing their knife skills at home, or, you know, I can use them to, to send out as pre-learning material so they can be like a little bit up on the material before coming into class uh, and practicing the techniques. So I'm just loving putting together all of the new educational material. It's it's a lot of work. Like I'm not going to lie. I think you you said it earlier. It's it's a stress on teachers as well that is unprecedented, but I'm actually really loving the results. Like the results are that I'm coming up with tons of other ways of teaching what I've been teaching for many, many years. And I'm coming up with ton of foundational material in ways that I never would have had time or made the time to do before. And so I think that when all this is said and done, this sounds crazy, but it's going to make me a better teacher. And so there is a, a small nugget of positivity here. Yes. Silver linings are definitely welcome. And it's great to hear. Yeah. My friends all call me like the eternal optimist. And <laughs> might so, as well like, be. I mean, you might as well, like in the middle of a pandemic, like what is there to be thankful for and what can I do to grow my program and my teaching style? And so here we are. It's great to have that perspective. And one thing we were talking about is the students can share videos and show you pictures, but that doesn't mean you, you know how it tastes, but that's the hardest part. I can't taste any of their food. Some of it looks so good and I can't even taste it if I wanted to. Andrea, do you mind sharing some of your most memorable projects that you've been involved with, with your long career as a chef? Mm. Well, I would say, I don't know if this is a project, but one of my most exciting recent occurrences was just getting hired and you know trusted to be an instructor at Cabrillo in the culinary department when I was originally you know a graduate of the program I feel like that's just like my full circle moment where I'm just so excited to be there so that to me feels like you know a testament to some of the education and food stuff that I've done over the years and I love to put students in the forefront of what we're doing, you know, like it may not be their first place, like going out and being in front of the public, but I've found opportunities over the years to show them how to be good caterers by finding events that we can cater in the community and doing like chef versus chef challenges where the students all came up with different recipes. And we had this big event, this big fundraiser where the public was invited to come and test and taste and grade all of their work. And it was like this fun competition between them. And I think that uh, the ways in which I've taken the teaching out of the classroom has been some of my biggest highlights. 
over the years as a, a food educator. I've loved all of the programs, the luncheons, the caterings, and the times when the students were given prop by the community for like feeding them and providing really good food. It just puts a huge smile on their face and it makes their learning like meaningful, I guess. That's really cool. So I'd imagine that their homework isn't just going home and watching Top Chef or something. <laughs> no, they still like to do that. And their homework is usually going home and figuring out what they can cook in the kitchen um, or how they're going to market that new product idea and, and so on and so forth. So, Do you mind telling our students who are listening more about what you do with high schools? Sure. So I started with high schools. When I was just graduating the program, one of my instructors, one of my instructors and mentors said, hey, there's this, uh, there's this private high school in Santa Cruz County that is looking for a summer culinary instructor. And I think you'd fit the, you know, the bill. And, and so I started teaching. And over the years, my teaching ability developed into kind of growing an entire high school culinary program for the County Office of Education. And that culinary program is offered to all of the county high school students. They have to register with their career and technical education counselor on campus. And then my particular program, this isn't the same in all communities, but my particular program, they come to me. So I own a kitchen and the students would come after school, they'd come off campus to my kitchen, and they would work in a professional kitchen environment. And so that culinary arts program was kind of a, a starting way to kind of explore if they liked food enough to make a career out of it. And, you know, some of the students and, and actually many of the students that took my high school classes were not there for career purposes, or they realized really quickly, like, well, this is not for me. But they left with this really great foundation of how to feed themselves and how to cook for themselves. And so that program actually transfers units or what we call articulates to a Cabrillo introductory course if they if they choose to come to Cabrillo Culinary and use those transfer units or it's just a really great foundational course where they can learn like how to boil water and how to go off to college and not starve and a little bit more about food and sustainable agriculture and and the food world before they go off and become young foodies themselves. Okay and is it is it expensive to enroll in the program? The high school culinary program is, is not expensive at all. It's offered through their high school as part of an elective you know, unit. And we ask for a materials contribution, which is a donation. Any student or parents who can't afford it, then they're not refused. They're just accepted and, and we find funding through the county. And so that one's super cheap. You just got to register at school, like you're taking an elective course next semester. But then the culinary program at Cabrillo, it's kind of like all the normal, you know, Cabrillo unit pricing, as if you were registering for any other course at Cabrillo. And some of the additional costs, such as acquiring a uniform or a knife kit are actually often covered. There's a very recent grant that was just granted to the culinary arts students that is covering all of their beginning costs uh, of materials, uniforms, and textbooks. And, and so although it's a program that some people think might be a little bit more pricey than like a normal math class, it really isn't now that we've received some really strong community-supported grants. And the students can come to Cabrillo Culinary for just the same price as taking other unit courses at Cabrillo. Okay, that's great to hear that it's uh, so available and 
affordable. Well, if you think about the, sorry to interrupt, but if you think about like what people think of of a culinary academy, you know, the private culinary schools are 20 or $40,000 for a certificate and uh, Cabrillo, you know, we have a really strong program without all of those, those uh, outrageous fees. So I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, me too. And I was wondering, because you shared with us that you are Canadian and that you moved from the East Coast and you moved out here out West to Santa Cruz. How does our food stack up in your eyes as a chef? (laughs) Well, let's say that I moved here 20 years ago and my knowledge of food and the food scene in Montreal, where I grew up, was not as enthusiastic when I was, you know, in my mid to late teens. And, And so I moved here and became a real foodie. Like this is where my food passion grew. You know, my, my life in Santa Cruz in California, I've been here a long time. And so I would say Montreal is known for being very European and very food forward and very exciting when it comes to the food scene. I go back and visit and really get to enjoy it uh, almost as a tourist these days, even though I still have family there, but like I go back with tourist eyes, you know, like show me, you know, what do you got? But Santa Cruz is really where I grew my food passion. And so I'm going to say they're very different in my eyes. Okay. And Montreal's pretty, I would imagine it's probably pretty French influenced. Yes, very much so. Any restaurants that you could recommend to our listeners? In Santa Cruz? Yeah. Oh, wow. I guess it depends what they're looking for. And not everything is open in full capacity right now, but a lot of restaurants are still thriving. I drove by a restaurant that I like very much, um, even though I haven't been there in a long time, because I won't go out during the pandemic to sit at a restaurant. I'll go out to dine, take, like to get takeout and take home. Uh, but Oswald's was packed the other day when I drove by. All their outdoor dining was full. And so I imagine they're still doing well. And I like, I like their food. Their burgers are great. Agreed. Um, at the bar. And uh, I, I'm really into pop-ups right now. I'm into people taking their ideas and, and trying them out in a pop-up scenario. And, you know, I'm a little bit partial to some of the pop-ups that are growing their businesses within my kitchen at the food lounge downtown. There's some great food coming out of Full Steam Dumpling. Uh, they do ramen, they do dumplings, everything made from scratch by hand, the, the doughs, the fillings, and their pop-ups around town at farmer's markets and some takeaway on Wednesdays from the food lounge is really good. Flavors are really good and he plays with the menu and the seasonality. And I mean, speaking of burgers, we put out an amazing burger. I don't know why I'm talking about burgers so much. Maybe I'm hungry, but we put out an amazing burger at the at the Pino Alto restaurant. We were taking pictures of our food before the restaurant opens next week um, for the spring semester for our takeout service. And oh my gosh, the pictures of our burger and our hot chicken sandwich looked so good. I would say, you know, try the takeout at all the restaurants in your local community. Like just, just try them because if they're still open and they're still wanting to feed you, they might be struggling compared to in dining, but a lot of the food is still coming out really good. I'm, I, I see a lot on Instagram and the food still looks great, you know, cardboard box or not. Yeah. And they could definitely use the community's support. 
in these they, times. They can. I know. Restaurants right. are struggling so much. I yeah. feel so grateful to be in the education part of the food business right now. And, you know, just inspiring students to think differently about like what's next in the food industry. But restaurants and all my restaurant colleagues are, are, are having a little bit of a hard time right now. So yeah. Support. And I agree with you on the on the great pop-ups that have that are available to us. I mean, just the quality of food that you can get at a pop-up is it's incredible. Just as good as a, at a restaurant, really. And it's fun. It's like, totally. it's a different type of experience getting to like to know the people who work there and you develop like a relationship where you want to support them and, and their food's great too often. And also you mentioned Oswald's and what a great restaurant that is. I remember the first time I went there was, I don't know if you went to their, their previous location. It was really cool. I did yes. many years ago. Oh my yeah. gosh, I did. Um, I had an old girlfriend who took me there and she dared me, she ordered the sweetbreads. <laughs> and that was like my first experience with that there. Would you mind telling us what the, the listeners, what sweetbreads are? Yeah, so if you like to eat all sorts of animal parts, um, sweetbreads are not they sound so they sound so pretty don't they but it's they basically a, it's basically a culinary name for an innard um like i think it's like the thymus gland or something like that if i'm not mistaken sweetbreads sound so innocent but they're actually um uh, one of those things like pulling out all of the gizzards and guts from the turkey right like you got to get to know all of the parts like the brain and the sweetbreads and the gizzard and 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 the heart and the liver and that's what a sweetbread is it's usually at higher end restaurants they use fully total utilization of product they use every part of the animal and so it's not something you'd necessarily see at your at your local you know fast food joint but probably something you'd see at oswald's <laughs> and i think that it's one of those things that hearing about or talking about it it might turn people off to it but if they didn't know what it was and they tried it they could very well like it yeah Absolutely. You know, like if you, my mom used to cook me liver growing up and, you know, most people won't eat liver and don't save all that from, you know, buying a whole bird or a whole turkey or whatever. But if you cook liver correctly and you saute some onions and you throw that on there too, and you don't overcook it, it's actually quite delicious and very healthy. So, I mean, part of that culinary education, I like to say is just being super adventurous and I tell my students, like, my rule is you got to taste everything twice because the first time maybe it just wasn't done properly. Maybe the person you had it by just didn't understand the cooking process. And if you try it again, you might be surprised. Yeah, I think that's great advice. And speaking of advice, what advice or resources can you give to students who are interested in pursuing a career as a chef? I think a combination of uh, education, aka practice, learning from you know an instructor or, or a mentor, combined with really hard work is is what I highly recommend as a chef. There's no way you're going to get a good culinary education, walk out the door, and be given you know a high priced salary in a chef position with your name on the building. I believe that a combination of learning through different methods like a culinary program and lots of practice and play at home and and then you know maybe an internship combined with just really hard work the culinary industry is one of the hardest industries to be in both physically and technically and emotionally and so i'd say the people who plug through in the industry and are willing to learn every day from in different ways are the ones who are going to succeed in this in this industry and that's my advice for the perfect combination of success is 
content and education about food and all the different new food techniques and combined with hard work. Okay, I think that's really great advice. And Andrea, is there any last things you'd like to leave our listeners with? I think that's advice in many industries. I, I don't think there's any magic certificate or magic way or, you know, like secret to getting into something. It's just like learn, 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 work, work, work. Yeah, dedication and hard work go a long ways, I think. I agree. Anything you'd like to add? Oh, have fun with food, everybody. That's my <laughs> most favorite thing to, to challenge people with. It's just like, see something at the supermarket you've never tried before? Grab it. Try a new way of cooking something that is familiar to you or always say yes and try things at least twice. That's my challenge to all of our listeners. Play with food and be adventurous. Thank you very much, Andrea. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in to today's career story with me, Patrick Hart, on our show, What to Be, with today's guest, Andrea Mullenauer, who is an instructor at Cabrillo's Culinary Program. If you have any questions or would like to share your career story with us, please send us an email at whattoberadio at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed our show, please join us again at 90.7 FM, KSQD Santa Cruz at 7 p.m. on Sundays, and streaming online at ksqd.org. Or you can find us on major podcast streaming platforms like Spotify. Please visit our website at yfiob.org for more information about your future as our business. We also want to let everyone know that we have our 20th annual education business luncheon taking place virtually this year on April 22nd from 12 to 1 p.m. The education business luncheon is your future is our business's way of highlighting, thanking, and celebrating Santa Cruz educators and our partners for providing opportunities for Santa Cruz County youth. This year's event will include live content and breakout rooms featuring CTE class showcases, conversation with students, raffle giveaways, and more. It's a free event open to the public. To learn more, go to tinyurl.com forward slash VCTE20 or at yfiob.org. Thanks and see you next time.